Hello, and welcome to Melting Pot Stories, the podcast that is a literary love fest for multicultural books. I'm your host for the show, Lori L. Tharps, and I'm a writer and author of both fiction and nonfiction, a fan of all things multicultural, and I love books. On this podcast, you'll hear inspiring conversations about the stories behind our favorite diverse books and the latest literary tea from the publishing world. Come on and join me. I promise this podcast will leave you lit. On episode 60, we're digging into the melting pot vault and replaying an episode that was inspired by the book, White Like Her, My Family Story of Race and Racial Passing by Gail Lukasik. The book is all about racial passing and family secrets in Gail's family, and that's just what our conversation on the show is all about. I'm joined by Gail and Philadelphia journalist Shannon Wink. Like Gail, Shannon was raised to believe that she was white, but when she was doing some genealogical research for her job, she discovered some colorful family secrets of her own. During this lively conversation, we talk about the moment that both women went through when they found out that their relatives had been passing, how their own racial identities have shifted from white to not white, but not black either. And then we talk about the toll of family secrets in general. I love this conversation, and it really made me rethink my own definitions of black and white here in the United States. Now make sure you stick around all the way till the end of the episode because I have some exciting updates from Gail and Shannon about their lives since this episode originally aired. But before we get to that conversation, let's take a melting pot minute to catch up on what's going on in the world of multicultural books. Hey book lovers, what you reading these days? I would tell you what I was reading, but I'm not going to because I'm not enjoying it. Yeah. It's one of those situations. I bought a book just to get me through the winter doldrums. It was supposed to be an easy read, but it's not. I'm not enjoying it. It's not an easy read. And I have to admit that I am just skipping pages, getting to the good parts, getting to the parts that I wanted to read about, which is kind of a romance, but it's just not that prevalent in the story. And that's what I thought it was going to be. So I'm just paging through all the like other plot points just so I can figure out if the guy and the girl are going to get together. Now, once upon a time, I would never do this. And I was just wondering, what do other people do when they don't like a book that they're reading, when it doesn't live up to their expectations? Do you keep reading anyway? Do you throw the book to the side? I have realized in my almost 50 years of time on this planet that life's too short to read books that don't grab me, that don't engage me, that don't live up to the promise. There are so many other books that I want to read that I have now given myself permission to leave a book unread. And I just wanted to give all of you other readers out there that permission as well, because it took me a while to get there. I always felt like if somebody had taken their time to write this book, then I have to read it, even if I don't like it, like it was vegetables or something. That's not true. You can put those books down and not finish them and move on to something that you do like. If you disagree with me, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you do about a book you don't love. Leave me a message in the show notes on myamericanmeltingpot.com, or you can leave me a message on Instagram at laurielltharps.com. Did you guys know that Elizabeth Gilbert, yes, Elizabeth Eat, Pray, Love Gilbert, that's the one, has started a book club called The Onward Book Club, where they only read books by Black female authors. 
She started the book club in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and figured it was a good way for her to use her immense platform to get more people to read Black women authors. She said that she had responded to this idea, like, listen to Black women. She kept hearing that over and over again, and she thought this was a great way to do that, for her to participate in doing that. So anybody can join the Onward Book Club. All you have to do is read the featured book, which she announces via her Instagram page. And then towards the end of the month, usually, she interviews the author on Instagram, and you can watch the interview right there and participate in an IG Live situation. The next book they're reading is An American Marriage by Tyree Jones, an excellent book. And you can find out more about the Onward Book Club on Elizabeth's website, elizabethgilbert.com. Now let's get to our conversation about passing and family secrets with author Gail Lukasik and Shannon Wink. So let me begin by introducing my guests. Shannon Wink is a Philadelphia native who's devoted her life and her career to telling the stories of the city and the people in it. She's the Senior Digital Content Manager at Visit Philadelphia, the city's destination marketing organization. Prior to that, she spent 10 years as a journalist exploring as many corners of the city as possible and teaching young reporters at Temple University along the way. Welcome to My American Melting Pot, Shannon. Thank you. Also, we have Gail Lukasik. Gail was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and was a ballerina with the Cleveland Civic Ballet Company. She has worked as a choreographer, freelance writer, editor, and college lecturer. She is the author of several mystery novels, as well as her latest book, which we are talking about today, White Like Her, My Family's Story of Race and Racial Passing. White Like Her was named by the Washington Post as one of the most inspiring stories of 2017. Welcome to My American Melting Pot, Gail. Thank you, Lori. So I have to actually begin this podcast because we are speaking and people aren't actually seeing us. I'm actually going to ask both of you guests to describe what you look like so that our listeners can have a visual of you as you're telling your stories. Shannon, can you start? Sure. I look pretty white. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a pretty... I never really usually describe myself as pale because I have paler relatives and family, but I, generally speaking, probably pretty pale. And I've got dark, dark, just about black hair that I've mixed some reds and purples into. And your hair is pretty straight. Yes, it's very straight. Very straight, yeah. And if people see you, what would they probably assume your ethnic heritage would be? White. Just just white. Just white, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Gail, how do you describe yourself, your visuals, so people can have an an image in their mind as you're speaking? Well, people have referred to my skin as porcelain, Mm -hmm. so it's extremely white. When I was younger, I had dark brown hair. Um, My eyes are hazel. I have white features. I look very, very white. And your hair is actually blonde now, right? Well, we'll we'll talk about that at another time. (laughs) I'm going natural, okay? Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, begin with your story, Shannon. I know that back in 2012, you were looking for some answers about your family tree. Yes. Can you t- share a little bit about what you were looking for, what started your journey, and what you discovered? I happened to be working on a grant project that allowed me to do a lot of ancestral research and also a DNA test. And I was doing it actually because we didn't know a lot of information about my 
father's side of the family. So I was looking for information about that. And I knew a little bit about my mother's father who had always told us that he was Native American. And so I was curious if that was going to come up at all in our research. And it turned out it didn't, but it did turn up that he is Black. Wow. Yeah. And this is a grandfather who you had a relationship with? You saw him on a regular basis? Yeah, we were. I saw him several times a week. Wow, so he lived in Philadelphia as well? He, yes, they lived a few minutes away from us. Uh, he died when I was 16 and uh, was in a nursing home for a couple years before that. But so for the first 13 years of my life, I saw him multiple times a week. And did you ever even consider that your grandfather was black? No, never occurred to me. Uh, he was very tan. I always get very tan in the summer. So does my mom. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty white neighborhood where if you had dark skin, you were probably Italian. And so I just figured I'm just a white kid who's got some Italian in her somewhere. Interesting. Gail, I'm going to swing over to you now. You wrote this book, White Like Her, which has a, it's an amazing story, but I'm going to ask you to condense that story. I know that's really hard to do, but can you tell everybody what you were looking for that led you down this path to discover your mother's racial background? Well, my journey started in 1995, and I was actually looking for my grandfather, Azima Frederick, who is my mother's father, and uh, he was my mystery man. I had never seen a photograph of him. I knew nothing about him, and every time I would ask my mother, she would give me a vague answer like, well, you have to understand my parents were divorced when I was six. I wasn't raised by him. So in 1995, I decided I, and you have to understand, this is before Ancestry.com, so I couldn't go, you know, on the internet and look for him. And I started at a family history center near my house, and I started with census records. And that's where I found him and his family, the 1900 Louisiana census records. And I discovered that for their racial designation, the entire Frederick family was listed as black. I had no idea. It was a total shock. I could imagine. And then you found out that your mother then, how do you describe your mother's racial heritage? Well, my mother is mixed race. And as it turns out, my grandfather was as well. But you have to remember that back in 1900, um, designating race in the South was kind of a tricky business. And if there, we, we're talking about the one drop rule. So, you know, if you were mixed race and you had at least one drop of African-American blood, then you were designated as Black. So your mom, as you say in your book, left New Orleans where she was born, came up to Ohio, eventually married your father, and lived her entire rest of her life as a white woman. You confronted her about her heritage, but that didn't make her suddenly, quote-unquote, come out of the closet. She continued to live her life as a white woman and never shared with you, really, any sense of her Black identity or her mixed-race identity. Is that correct? Not only is that correct, but when I did confront her with all my evidence, I had the census, I had her birth certificate, I really had done a lot of research. You know, at first she denied it, and then when I told her what I had, she she pleaded with me that I was not to tell anyone the truth of her heritage until after she died. 
that's that's a heavy burden to carry. And I know from reading your book that you honored that wish for like 17 years because she didn't die for, you know, for 17 years. I can only imagine that, you know, having a mother who is essentially, I mean, there's lots of ways to interpret her behavior. You could say she was ashamed of being black. That line you said that in the book, she said, uh, you said that she said, how could I hold my head up amongst my friends if they knew my secret, which would seem that she was ashamed of her blackness, or maybe she was ashamed of lying, whatever the case may be. How did that affect you in terms of how you then interpreted what it meant to be, you know, black yourself or mixed race or having this background? Did it make you feel like then it was something you should be ashamed of or you should hide? No, I, you know, it's it's a really paradoxical kind of moment in my life because on the one hand, my mother had raised me to be open to all people, regardless of ethnicity, race, gender, whatever. And yet here she is saying to me, you can't tell who I am. You can't tell my secret. So I felt very split by that. But I also, in my own heart, felt very proud of it. I thought it was really a great thing. But then keeping her secret those years, those 17 long years, I did start to take on a little of her fear and her shame. It was hard not to, even though in my heart, I did not feel it. But carrying someone else's burden is obviously going to make you complicit in that in some way. Shannon, what about you? When you discovered that your grandfather was Black, first of all, how old were you when you found this out? I was in my, I was 24, 25. Okay. Yeah. So what was your reaction and and what'd you do with the information? I was not totally surprised because I, I had set myself up for how many white people say they have Native American ancestors, so there's no way this is going to be a real thing. So I was expecting that that's not what was going to come up in these results. So in that way, I was kind of just, whatever you tell me, I'm ready for it. More, I just felt and still feel like I am missing so much of this story that I felt like oh, man, I'm, I really missed an opportunity to get to know my grandfather as an adult to connect these dots. And did you, I know that your grandfather, not only did you find out that he was African-American, but that he also had a very illustrious, like, jazz career. Was that something that you knew about before? Or was that something that came up in your research? And can you talk a little bit about that part of his life? Yeah, uh, he was cool. <laughs> I knew, I knew that he played music, that he was a musician, and identified himself as a musician. And I knew that he was friends with Dizzy Gillespie. I did not know that, for example, he went on a Middle Eastern tour with Dizzy Gillespie wow. and Quincy Jones, wow. and, and had this amazing career, and is referenced in Dizzy Gillespie's book and. I wasn't aware of his true fame until this project. And so what did you do with the information? Did you keep it to yourself? Did you share it with your family members? Did you ask your grandfather? Or had he he had passed already when you... Okay. Okay. So yeah, what did you do with the information once you found it out? So I shared it with my family, uh, with my mom. It's just my mom and... She's got a sister who we don't see that often, so I don't have a a close relationship with her to be able to even connect those dots. 
And the feeling was just sort of like, oh, okay, because we don't have any living relative to kind of make this real for us. It's just a piece of paper with some results on it. We haven't been able to take it any further with an experience. So the the question that I want to ask both of you, which I think is so fascinating and what I'm always interested in when I say that this show, we want to talk about identity politics. You know, this is one of those things talking about, you know, what does race, what does identity, what do terms like black and white really mean? I'll go back to you, Gail. Does this information, finding out that your mother was passing, that your mother was mixed race, did it change your sense of your identity? Do you still identify as a white woman or do you think of yourself now as a woman of mixed race heritage? How do you identify now? That is such a complicated question. And I want to start my answer by saying that I think of race as a social construct. And, and I'm asked this question a lot when I do um, book talks or give presentations. People want to know, well, so now that you know this, how are you identifying? And I, I always have to sort of <laughs> unravel the question and explain what I think about race. And I also tell them, you know, if I was to think about it socially or culturally, then I'm white because I was raised in a white neighborhood. I was, you know, that's where I was raised. So that's the cultural end of it. If I think of it in terms of my mother's family, I'm mixed race. And that's the truth. And, you know, in the book, as you know, I trace the family all the way back to the early 1700s in Louisiana. And all along that trail of genealogy is mixed race. And when you're looking at that, I'm also looking at what's going on in America at that time. And to understand what my mixed race ancestors went through becomes very transformative for me. So I'm trying to give you a full answer because I do think of myself both culturally as a white woman, but genetically and ancestral in terms of my ancestors, I'm mixed race. That's really interesting. And I, I really like that you've broken it down like that because, like you said, it is a social construct, but you're culturally white. You were raised white. But if you look at your ancestry, you know, you can't claim whiteness if you are of mixed race heritage, which you are. I really like that. You said it was transformative. What do you mean by that, transformative? I've been on such a journey since I first discovered it, then my mother's, you know, keeping her secret and then writing the book and being on Genealogy Roadshow and all the things that I've just experienced. And when I sat down to write the book, suddenly history, you know, we all know our history, right? And I, I knew about, you know, enslaved people. I knew about slavery. But suddenly this becomes visceral for me because it's no longer a history lesson. It's the history of my family. So that is very transformative. And, you know, in the book, I, I discover, I, I knew I would discover an enslaved person. I discovered two. And Marta, my enslaved um, ancestor, when I read her manumission documents, I was furious. I had a, a gut reaction to it. Because that's, that's my ancestor we're talking about. You know, that's not someone in a history book. So for me, it's very transformative. And it really makes me think about race in a whole different way. I can imagine. Shannon, what about you? Do you consider yourself white? Did you change 
like a feeling of who you were in terms of like racially? Do you pause now when somebody refers to you just as a white woman? Like how has this, if at all, changed the way you see yourself and or the way you see your racial identity? I do. I do have that pause a little bit. I think my feelings about it are evolving, especially because we live in such a different kind of world now than we did in 2012 when I was doing this research. I'm white with an asterisk, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't, you know, I have this, this feeling of pride about this piece of my ancestry, but I know nothing about it. And I didn't experience it, and I don't have a relationship with a living person to uh, connect that to. And similar, you know, I was raised white. I thought that I was white. We all did. And so I don't feel like I've I've earned any kind of ownership of being able to say anything other than I'm that I'm white, except that I also I don't want to deny this piece of myself. Right, right. It's really complicated. Yeah, that's really interesting because you you said that if you walked around and tried to tell people that you were black, first of all, you don't look black. You don't experience the world as a black woman and you don't have a living connection to blackness. So you would probably get chastised if you tried to claim blackness. Totally. But if you tried to deny it, people would be like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, you're not, you know, you're... You're ashamed right. of your blackness right. now? Like, you can't talk about, you know? Um, so it's, it is very tricky, isn't it? It's not something that you can really be public about as you try to figure it out. Like, you can't, oh, Ianla fixed my life. Like, I'm this white person who needs to connect with her blackness, right? I mean, it's not, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy or necessarily understanding. Um, Gail, have can you— Can I add something yeah, to, yeah, to the conversation? Yeah, please Please, jump in. Based on actual a personal experience that happened— to me when I was at the start of my book tour. I was in St. Louis and talking about white like her. And I had a mixed race audience, which was great. It was wonderful. And as usual, at the end, um, I'm asked the question, well, how do you identify now that you know everything? And a woman, the woman who asked me the question was an African-American woman. And this was the first time, this was very early. So it was the first time I was asked the question. I was so uncertain. And so I said to her, well, you know, I'm a white woman with a mixed race heritage. And she said to me, well, I'm so relieved that you answered that question that way, because if you had answered it any other way, it would have been wrong. And I'm telling you this as a member of the St. Louis Black Caucus. Okay. (laughs) Aren't you glad you answered it that way? Well, Uh, yeah, I thought later, wow. (laughs) What would have happened if I hadn't? <laughs> well, and, and this is—I mean, it's really—it really is a um, a tricky thing to to deal with. But it does again—it speaks to the absurdity of racial categories, and that they really were invented for the purposes of keeping certain people in power and certain people disenfranchised. And as our world gets browner and browner and more mixed. It's very hard to keep these racial categories as our system of categorization of human beings. So um, I want to ask both of you also what the reaction and responses have been of friends and family members. Gail, I thought it was really funny 
sense <laughs> when you said that like suddenly your son made sense because of his coloring that you and your husband both were always wondering like where you got this son with these darker features and it was like oh this makes sense now um what has been responses of friends family um if you have a specific kind of positive or negative if there were any um i just want to hear you know what what other people in your close circle have been like when you found out this information? Well, you know, initially, after my mother swore me to secrecy, I broke that a little bit because I felt that my husband and my children had a right to know their heritage. So I I told them about it, and I told two very close friends. And my children just totally embraced it. Loved it. Thought it was great. My husband as well. You know, I'm, you know, we're talking about different generations now. And my two friends also embraced the whole idea. However, once I started working on the book and I was being more out there, I had some negativity. I did. I had a friend who made a rather, I thought, snide remark about slavery <laughs> as sort of directed toward me. And I was very hard to understand exactly what her point was, but it really took me aback. But for the most part, it has been positive. And it's funny, I went to Parma, Ohio, that's where I grew up, and gave a book talk there last June. And I had two cousins come who did had not known. You know, my father's family knew nothing about this. They assumed my mother was white. And they came. It was so nice. And I said, you know, what do you guys think? And they go, oh, we just think it's great. (laughs) So that was very positive. And that's interesting because if people haven't read your book yet, that your father, you said he had some very bigoted views about Black people. So that must have been a little relieving to know that members of your father's family didn't look down upon this knowledge. Well, again, you know, you have to think about generations. My cousins are of my generation not of my parents' generation. So I think, I think, and I believe, and I hope we're evolving (laughs) with with the generations. Right, definitely, definitely. We're not not thinking the way we used to think. And Shannon, what about you? What's been the response of family, friends, when you shared this information? And you actually, as a journalist, you put this out, you wrote an article about it. It was on, you did a radio show about it, I believe. So what was the response? Uh, It's been almost entirely positive. Uh, A lot of my friends think it's cool and interesting that I got to do this research and that I got some answers, but still some questions. And my brother and I are are very curious and would like to do more research. We only really went back as far as my great-grandparents, and so we don't have a lot of real history there that we know about. I think it's a challenge to... For my, not just me, but my entire family, my my mother and her sister also found out in 2012 that their father and they are Black. And so to have him already have passed and to be living among this secret, I think, is really hard to kind of change your perception of a person and to live with this knowledge of, I didn't know anything about this person, and he kept it a secret for who knows what reasons from his family, who knows what pain was behind that. And that's been that's been hard to not be able to talk about it openly and to, you know, I think for my parents to have to live with this person who they knew for their whole lives and we're missing a huge, 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 you know, identifying piece of their story. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, for for Gail's story, she kind of found this out and she's the most person affected. But for you, you found this out, but really your mother and her sisters are more affected. I mean, it's their father. Right. You had 13 years with him. They had a lifetime with him. So they have to process that differently. Um, I want to know from both of you, and again, I know a couple of like little anecdotes that you guys have shared, but were there things that suddenly made sense to you guys once you found out this information, Shannon, I'm looking at you because you said something about that you get really tan. And full disclosure, Shannon was a student of mine many, many years ago. And when I found out that she had this, um, that her grandfather was black, I was shocked because Shannon really has the most beautiful white porcelain skin. And if she's told me that she tans well, it, it would shock me. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how certain things fit into place, even though you would have never suspected that your grandfather was black. Yeah, so I do tan very well, very easily, as does my brother and my mom. And one of the first things I thought of when we found this out was... When I was a kid, we had a swim club membership, and there were families that we only saw during the summer. And so we had this family who we'd known for years and years and years, and and the boy was my age, and he only saw us in the summer when we were all very tan. And one day, after we had known them for years, his mother asked him to take a towel or something to my mom, and he said, oh, the black lady. And we, you know, at the time we were like, yeah, she's really tan. And there was exactly one black woman who was a member of the swim club. And so this is what his perception of being black was, this tan woman. Uh, And that was the first thing I thought of when we found this was like, okay, okay, someone else noticed it. (laughs) And we were just late to catch on. (laughs) Yeah, that, you know, there's a hint. Um. Gail, what about you? Was there anything that you said, you know, once you found out that your mother was actually passing, that you connected some dots, that you were like, oh, my gosh, this now makes sense? Oh, yes. There were many, many things. Um, I used to think that my mother had these weird quirks. She would never go out into the sun without a hat on or gloves. In fact, she tried to avoid the sun. She uh, never wanted to visit home. I never went with her to New Orleans to meet her family, ever, never. She just said it would depress her too much to go there. One of the most interesting quirks was she always wore a light base foundation to bed. And wow. when I Yeah, and when I got a little older, you know, I was a teenager, I said, you know, Mom, how come you wear makeup to bed? Because I was thinking, it's so odd. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, I'm like, I, the, I don't want to wear makeup to bed. So, you know, and she looked at me and with a straight face and she said, well, Gail, you never know if you'll get sick in the middle of the night. And when they come with the ambulance to take you to the hospital, you want to look your best because you'll get better treatment. Wow. 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 Yeah, that was her story. And, you know, when I was young, I bought that. Later on, I started thinking, this doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Well, this is, I mean, you know, I actually hear that story and I hear two things in there. I hear the the excuse to wear makeup so that she's always looking, you know, light enough. But I also hear that feeling like you won't be treated properly because of the way you look. And even though she was making it about, you know, like, 
beauty or, you know, looking nice. I mean, that's definitely something as a black woman, there's always that, you know, we call it respectability politics. Like, like you deserve to be treated poorly if you don't do your hair nicely or look good when you go out because people are always going to judge you as a black person more so than anyone else. So you, you have to look good. And so I hear, I hear two different kind of things in that anecdote, Gail. So, well, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And that is exactly how my mother approached her life mm. about her appearance was everything for her. Not just, you know, not just going to bed, just to be out in the world. Her appearance had to be a certain way. And she was very, very meticulous about it. Yeah. So when you guys, both of you, um, you know, Shannon, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, life has changed since 2012. And I'm assuming you meant that it seems that we're in a much more volatile political situation, that racism has become kind of acceptable in a lot of ways since 2016. Um, this administration has seemingly allowed people to be more publicly racist. Um, for both of you, even though you both still see yourselves as white, understandably, do you take a different perspective on how you look at kind of racial news now? Do you feel that you're somehow in a different place? Like, are you implicated? Are you more compelled to pay attention or do something? How do you kind of ingest this climate that we're in now? And do you feel yourself in it in a different way than you were? Either consciously or subconsciously, whether you're doing anything or not, do you feel it differently? I feel a responsibility as a human and I don't know if that's because of my ancestry or not. I don't think that it is only because so little has changed for me in my day-to-day -day because I don't have a real living connection to it. Mm -hmm. So it is sort of a like a, a hypothetical for me in reality. And so it feels more urgent to me, not because of my ancestry, but because it is more urgent. Mm -hmm. Gail, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree with Shannon said. I, I totally, I, I, because it is urgent. And I feel it not because of ancestry, but because of who I am as a person. However, though, and we haven't talked about this part of my story, part of my mother's passing, there was a hidden family that I was able to connect with in 2015 that my grandfather had a second family that I knew nothing about. And so his second family, we have many more people of color in that family. And so it, it's, you know, I, I do connect with living people, <laughs> you know, there, you know, and, and we have had reunions and we've gotten to know each other because they didn't know I existed either. That's so wonderful that you do have that connection and that you have that other family. And I thought it was, um, I saw that interview you did on the Today Show with Megan Kelly, where you brought your cousin and your uncle. And I thought it was hilarious that your cousin is a filmmaker and was making a documentary about light-skinned Black women. Um, yes. And it's just, you know, what a what a funny connection that the two of you are, you know, making these books and films about, essentially, about skin color and what can and can't happen with, you know, having light skin. I was wondering about this idea of being a racial ambassador that both of you now are that white person who can 
kind of explain Blackness or be the the person that other white people can talk to about Blackness in a safe way because you're not really Black, but you kind of have a connection to Blackness. And Gail, I saw a YouTube interview that you did, and I was chuckling because I saw you explaining like the paper bag test and um, (laughs) just things that the light skin privilege and these different groups. And I thought, oh my God, this is, it just Visually, it struck me as funny because you were like, you were the representative explaining these things that, um, so I just wonder if if you have found that you have been kind of put into a role in certain ways that now you are an ambassador, like an in-between for people to explain. And do you feel comfortable explaining Blackness to other people or is that not something you like to, you know, put yourself in that role? Here's how I approach it. And let me just say, first of all, that I never expected to be in this role when I wrote the book. <laughs> this has come because of the book and every, you know all that. I, I, you know, I didn't expect it. So, um, but yes, I am that person. That's what happened um, when I, and I do a lot of talks. I mean, nonstop. In 2018, I gave over 22 talks and traveled around the country and you're right. When I stand up there and talk, people are staring at me and they're thinking, she's so white. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I mean, because they say it to me, you're so white. And yet I'm telling them this story. And to me as a writer, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a politician. I'm a storyteller. And when I do that, when I just tell the story, people get it. They hear it. It's got a human element. It's got emotion. They understand. And I've had people come up to me afterwards, white people, at least I'm assuming they look white, um, (laughs) say, uh, I had no idea. Or thank you for telling me that. Uh, This gave me another viewpoint on race or, you know, which is my favorite thing to hear. So, yeah, I somehow become, you know, not reluctant, but I've been put in this position of ambassador. Yeah, yeah. Shannon, what about you? Do you feel like, especially as a storyteller, as a writer, as a journalist, do you feel any kind of responsibility or even just interest in in trying to tackle some of these issues or tell some more stories because you now have this perspective that other people don't necessarily have? Yes, I think that interest has grown, and I don't know where that line is between it being something that I'm just more personally interested in exploring and just feeling like now is the time more than ever that we need to be elevating these stories and these voices. But I do often find myself in these situations where because I am the storyteller in a group of friends who are like not, you know, staring at Twitter all day like I tend to be, When these conversations come up and they don't know what to ask or how to say something, I have some kind of answer because I feel close to and have and have read and have tried to tell these stories. But I don't at the same time don't feel qualified to Mm -hmm. be doing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. constantly trying to say, like, you should read this. You (laughs) you should talk to this person Mm -hmm. and just trying to. Be the connector. I'm, I'm also wondering, so Shannon, you are, I mean, I don't mean to get all into your personal business, <laughs> but um, if you had children one day, hypothetically speaking, what do you think you'll tell them about their ethnic heritage? I'm, I know your husband is also 
a white man. Yes. Um, what do you think you will share with them? Like, will this be part of your family story now? Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm going to tell them everything. And I hope that by the time that that point comes around, I will have been able to do more research so that I can answer more of their questions as well as my own. So it doesn't stop with like, well, we we did this DNA test and we found out that my grandfather is black. And then we kind of stopped. I would love to have even more to be able to share with them. Yeah. And Gail, you just said something that made me chuckle. But do you feel like you have now that tendency to look at people now and go, I wonder if they're part black. Like they have something about them. Like, do you feel like you do that now? Now that you know how nobody would necessarily look at you and think, yeah, that woman is obviously of mixed race ancestry. Do you feel like you suddenly are looking at people differently now? I don't think I'm a a good judge of that. And it's funny because, again, I'm talking to a lot of people and I've had African-American people say to me, oh, I could tell your mother was passing. (laughs) I could just take one look at her and I knew exactly what was happening. And I'm thinking- I was like, look at her hair. I was like staring at her picture and I'm like, I see it in the hair. I definitely see it in the hair. Mm -hmm. Right. But her hair wasn't like that one. You know, she straightened it out and that's a picture of her in her New Orleans days, Mm -hmm. you know, but they would say that to me and I'm thinking, I didn't see that. So it's, (laughs) you know, it's, I guess it's all in what your perception is. And so I, I don't think I'm a good person to make those kinds of assessments about people. Though, however, having done all this research, I do know that if your family has been in the South that far back, you're more than likely mixed. More than likely, because that's just the way it worked. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So without asking you guys to solve all the problems of the world, what do you think in general about race? Because you guys have both kind of completely turned the concept of race upside down. You have disproven what race really is, because by the one drop rule, both of you could claim it fully that you're Black. You're both more than 132nd Black, right? So what's your thought about, like, just what do you think about race? And I'm starting with you, Shannon. Yikes. Sorry. (laughs) I'm glad you started with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a small question. But, like, you know, you've kind of disproven it, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we as a society are very eager to put people in whatever tidy little boxes we want them to be in because what better way to feel better about yourself or to project yourself as deserving more than to create a description of yourself or someone else that allows you to make distinctions about people. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a construct, but at the same time, we can't we can't just blow it up and say, well, this isn't a real thing because we've created some pretty real problems about it. And so how do we solve the problems without acknowledging the constructs that created them? Mm-hmm. Gail, what do you think? Well, I think that was an excellent answer. On my end, yeah, I don't have a solution. My way of contributing and trying to you know, help us move forward is just to keep the conversation going, to keep talking about it and having it be out there. And that's my way of doing it and continuing, you know, have the book out there, have me maybe write some more pieces about it, appear wherever I can. That's my way of doing. And if people listen, if if we're talking, you know, a lot of times when I give talks, people in the audience will end up talking to each other 
you know, of different races and sharing their stories. And I just, you know, as the teacher, because then I'm the teacher, I just kind of step back and let that conversation happen. Maybe you and Shannon should go on tour together. It's called the White Black Women's Tour. I love it. I think that would get people butts in seats That's at least. Great. Um, my last question for both of you is simply, what lessons do you think this journey has taught you beyond race and identity? Certainly a lot about family secrets, <laughs> but more just about, and it's something I've, been paying a lot of attention attention to as friends start to have kids and as I start to think about starting a family is just talking and acting openly and actively about inclusivity. So I think I'm coming out of what I hope is the last generation of just identifying people with simple language and simple words and this person's white and this person's black and you're racist or you're not racist and it depends on what word you're allowed to use in your house versus just having very, very open, honest conversations about being inclusive of people. You know, I came from a house where there was no racism, but there was also no discussion about, like, we need to include everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I I am very consciously thinking about that and trying to move in that direction myself. Gail, what about you? What has this journey taught you beyond, you know, talk about race and identity? Well, I feel like I'm still on the journey for sure and still evolving and, and learning as I go along. I think to be open to what I'm going to hear or learn and share and That's what I'm trying to do. Well, thank you, Shannon Wink, and thank you, Gail. I want to ask you both to tell our listeners how they can maybe find out more about your work, if you're going to write any more books, Gail, or to hear more about how you're going to spread the word about White Like Her. Tell everybody how they can find you and keep up with you. Yeah, you can go to my website, you know, just... Google my name, www.gaylukasic.com. And also I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And if you're interested in my book, you can get it at Amazon, White Like Her. Any of those venues would work. And we'll, of course, have a link to Gail's website and to the book on myamericanmeltingpot.com. And Shannon, how can people keep up with you and your journey? They can find me on Twitter at Shannon A. Wink. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you again both for being here on The Melting Pot. And I think your stories will definitely get people talking and continuing the conversation about race and identity. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Woo! Didn't I tell you that was a good conversation? I hope you enjoyed it. I still think about Shannon and Gail's stories, you know, what it must feel like to go from believing you were white to finding out that you were not really white. But also, both women said that they still feel white because that's what they are. And it essentially proves that race is a racial construct. Biologically, these women are not white. But what does it even mean? I just think that both of their stories are so interesting and it's so telling how, in essence, they both don't feel any different. And how could they? How could they when they have been raised, as Gail said, as culturally white? 
I'm really happy that Gail decided to write her story down, though, in a book so that her story could be shared and read by so many people and inspire other people to start talking about these stories. Because (laughs) I think Gail said this, that, you know, if you're from the South and from a certain era, you are also coming from a mixed race heritage, whether you acknowledge it or not. It's very likely we're all a lot more mixed than we think. And I'm glad also that Shannon published her story so that other people could read and learn from it. And that's why I always say that multicultural stories matter and books can change the world. These are the kinds of stories that really get people to start questioning and hopefully maybe even changing their concepts and ideas about race and racism. So that episode was recorded way back in January 2019. So I decided to check in with Shannon and Gail to see what was happening in their lives. It turns out Shannon is going to have a chance to live out her promise to tell her future children all about their Black past because Shannon actually had a baby this summer. And she is still actively searching for more information about her grandfather's family. Congratulations, Shannon, and good luck with your continuing investigations. And Gail has some exciting news to share about her book, but I'm going to let her tell you all about it. This is Gail Lukasik. Since I was last on American Melting Pot, there have been some updates with my book, White Like Her, My Family's Story of Race and Racial Passing, that I'd like to share with you. Recently, White Like Her was optioned for a TV dramatic series. I'm pretty excited about that. This month, the paperback version of the book will be available on Amazon. And I just completed my first Gothic historical mystery titled The Darkness Surrounds Us. I've also been doing a lot of Zoom appearances, one of which was on WGN-TV Morning News, where I talked about racial inequality. For more updates, please visit my website, www.gn.tv. G-A-I-L-L-U-K-A-S-I-K dot com. Thank you. Congratulations, Gail. How exciting, a White Like Her TV series. I will totally be tuning in when that comes out. And I think it's pretty appropriate that the paperback is just coming out this month. It's like it was waiting for me to replay the show so that it could get a little bump in exposure. So I will have links in the show notes to Gail's website and where you can find copies of the paperback edition of White Like Her. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you did, and you want to support the podcast, here are a few ways that you can do that. One, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review, or both. That will just take you a few minutes, but those reviews and those ratings can have an oversized impact in helping other people find the show. And I really think people would like to find this show because there really aren't that many book podcasts dedicated specifically to multicultural books. So that's the first thing you can do is literally just leave a rating or review. And then this show gets bumped up a little bit higher when people are searching for good podcasts about multicultural books. But also, if they do land on this podcast when they're searching and they see how many great reviews or ratings it has, they're more likely to download and listen. So thank you for any ratings and reviews you can leave. And number two, you can tell all of your book-loving friends to listen to the show. If you have a book club or book group or just someone who you talk about, you know, book recommendations with, please, please, please share them with your friends. Share them with those friends. 
And if you share it, just you know, by talking about it, that's great. I love talking. I love old-fashioned chit-chat and recommendations. But also, feel free to share on your social channels with more of your friends. And you can do that by taking a screenshot of the show as you're listening on the phone to the podcast, or you know, just copy one of my posts on Instagram. And feel free to share that with your people, your book-loving people. And number three, if you want to support the podcast financially. There's a couple of ways you can do that. One, if you want to support the podcast financially, but also get something for yourself at the same time, please try shopping at the My American Melting Pot online bookstore through bookshop.org. I've created a lovely collection of multicultural books for book lovers of every taste. I've got fiction, nonfiction, picture books, cookbooks, YA. I've got it all. And I update the collection all the time. So you can go and see if you can find a book that you'll love. And whatever you buy from the My American Melting Pot online bookstore supports this pot. I'll get a little bit of commission, so it supports the podcast in that way. And also, other independent bookstores receive a small percentage of every sale from that as well. So it's a win-win-win situation. Or you can just leave me a little tip via PayPal on the My American Melting Pot website. Or you can leave a big tip. I'm not opposed to any size tip. And why leave a tip? Because producing this show isn't free. And like I say, it's not even low budget. I have costs associated to put this show together. And while I am super happy to keep on podcasting while people are listening, it would be great if there was some way to help defray the costs. So I've made it super easy. Just go to myamericanmeltingpot.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page on the right-hand side. There's a PayPal button. You can just hit that bright yellow button and donate whatever you think is best. Before I let you go, I want to shout out one of my listeners, Eric T., who had an alternative name for me to consider for the show. If you recall a couple episodes back, I think in the trailer I had said I was looking for new names for the show, and I had decided on Melting Pot Stories. But there's always an opportunity to come up with something better. Eric suggested I call the show My American Melting Plots. Get it? Melting Plots? Because we're talking about books? Ha! It's so corny. I love it. I love it. And thank you, Eric, so much for sharing. If you have an idea of what I should be calling the show, something other than Melting Pot Stories, let me know. Leave me a message on MyAmericanMeltingPot.com or on Instagram at Lori L. Tharps. Melting Pot Stories is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next Friday. And until then, always remember that multicultural stories matter.